probably, in some ways, I would say the biggest thing that has happened in, in me in 20 years, um, I experienced just now. 20 years ago, I would have no place in my heart to put all that. And you know, you know what I mean. I would have no place. There would be no sense of me, no sense of security, no sense of okay. I would be in my mind just, um, you know, discounting everything that was said or prayed. And um, I stand here thankful to God because I have a place to put that. And I think it's a part of the gift of this body is that um, together we are moving towards Jesus in such a way that he's opening our hearts and giving us a place to put the truth. Um, I mean, that's not just a Christmas message. I didn't put that all together until just now. But there, there is a, a very clear way that in, in those gathered here and watching online today, God is saying, I want to create a place in you to receive my loving truth. And I'm, I'm not sure if there's a thing that we could do that would give more or, uh, Ori and Glonner glory and honor to God than to simply make space for him in our hearts and let him do what he wants to do, that the Holy Spirit would come and move in hearts that we'd be rooted and grounded in love and from that place that the, the world gets to know that um, the Father sent his Son, the Son died, and the Son was raised on our behalf. So, yeah, I guess there's my introduction. Don't think you're getting a short sermon because of that. Um, I do want to, as we got those gifts, I want to give you a gift this morning. Here's my gift to you this morning. Um, this is the two-week notice. We're not going anywhere. The two-week notice. In two weeks, we have a new year. And so for two weeks, you get to go to the king of the universe and say, God, what word or phrase would frame this next year for me? We've been doing this, uh, Jane and I have been doing this for years now. We've been doing it as a staff and as elders. And so I would encourage you, ask the Lord in these next two weeks, what word or phrase, it might be a scriptural phrase, it might be an image, would frame the next year for you? For me, two years ago, it was surrender, and, and I lived that out. That was challenging. This last year has been willing, and God has filled a willing heart. I don't know what my word is for next year, but I just want to challenge each of you. That will be a gift that God wants to give you, is to give you a peek into next year, to just to give you a word or a phrase to frame the year. I've found so many times through this last year that as I was praying about something, considering something, maybe got a request or an invitation, that the Lord would bring back that word. Remember what I told you, Randy, willing, and it had impact on the way I decided to follow Jesus. So I give that to you this morning as a gift. Also, I invite you after this service, um, even though we've been speaking through the Sermon on the Mount, it is Advent, and it's the fourth week of Advent, and we celebrate the love of Jesus um, during this particular uh, day, this Sunday. And so if afterwards you go out to the, uh, the coffee lobby, there are four jars there, and we've been filling up those jars with prayers. So if there's a place in your life where you need, you desperately need the love of God to touch I just ask you to go out there and write that down, put that prayer in a jar, and we together will pray that God's love will touch that area. Maybe there's a person in your life, your workplace, your family, a neighbor, a friend, an enemy that needs to be touched by the love of God. Just go out after the service and write their name down, and we will pray for them. 
We believe that God answers those prayers for peace, for hope, for joy, and for love. Uh, he's a big God, and he's still giving big gifts. So I encourage you to do that. Okay. Maybe we better pray. Thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your sovereign care over our lives. Every single life, God, you formed each heart here. You know each heart. You know the end from the beginning. You know our destinies. And you know what has, the enemy has done to try to destroy them. And we lay our hearts out before you and say, come, Lord Jesus, build your kingdom. Amen. All right, it's a hard transition. If you've been here over the last 20 years, at least one time I gave this illustration. So who has ever heard of the Dilbert Dunker? Dilbert Dunker? One. Any more Dunkers? Two. The Dilbert... Three. Thanks, Jane, for listening. <laughs> my, uh, Jane's dad, my father-in-law, was a Navy pilot in the time of Vietnam, and he trained at the uh, Naval Station in Pensacola. And while he was there, he um, learned what to do if ever his plane was to crash in the water. And the way he learned how to get out of a cockpit that's submerged in water is through a mechanism called the Dilbert Dunker. Um, somebody in mid, uh, like 1942, 43, was tasked with designing a way to teach pilots what to do if their cockpit were submerged. What happens is when you... I've never done it before, but when you hit the water at a rapid speed, the cockpit, you get all turned around. When you're trying to get out of your cockpit, you don't know literally which way is up. And so they designed this thing. You, you sit in a, a, like a, a cockpit. It shoots you at a high speed down into a pool, and it turns the cockpit over, and then they teach you that as you bust out of the cockpit, you open your eyes underwater, and you look for bubbles. Your brain probably says that down is up. And so you look and you see, and wherever the bubbles are going, you follow the bubbles. It, it was a way for them to train people how to live through a disorientation of their lives, the end of which is truly life or death. Because people had gotten into that situation, gone down into the water, their, their, their mind, is, their whole body is all mixed up and they think that swimming down is actually swimming up, and they swim to their death. And so what they taught them to do was open your eyes and look at reality. Follow the bubbles. Doesn't that make perfect sense with where we're headed with the message this morning? It will in a second. Matthew chapter 7. If you have a Bible, open it. It'll also be on the screen. Matthew 7, 24 to 29. And we're finishing the series called Kingdom Living on the Sermon on the Mount. Why don't you stand as I read these final words of Jesus in his most famous sermon. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, 
The streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Holy Spirit, as you inspired Jesus' words, his teaching, and the writing of these, his words, will you come and inspire us both to hear and to act in response to these words. Amen. You can be seated. So back to the dunker, if you get the image, life is disorienting. And we need to build our lives wisely. It's like constructing a house. Its stability and its strength is determined to a great extent upon its foundation. What is the life built upon? When challenge comes, who has experienced challenge like in the last minute, year, decade? When challenge comes, foundations get tested. So in my, in my Dilbert Dunker illustration, the bubbles are the words of Jesus. The bubbles are the reality of Jesus. If, if you listen to what Jesus is saying in this sermon and you follow, you practice, you obey what you're hearing, it leads to life. It leads to a, a life that's founded on the, uh, the rock of Jesus. It's founded on truth. And it leads to a life that is stable under all circumstances. I didn't say easy. I said stable. And so we can see and follow, or we can see and not follow. We can hear the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and follow those bubbles to life and stability, or we can see and hear those words, get into the life mix and realize, no, I'm going to do what feels natural. I'm going to do what seems right. I'm going to save my own skin. And against all that I know, I'm going to go the other direction. And the path, these are Jesus' words, leads to death not to life. You know, at, at that point, if you're in the water and you're trying to figure out which way is up, it doesn't matter what you think, what you feel, how you look. What matters is what you choose to do. Do you hear that? What matters is what we choose to do. You follow the bubbles, you find life. You don't follow the bubbles, you find death. What determines your outcome at this point is your action. It's not whether we know the words of Jesus, whether we can quote the words of Jesus, whether we've preached the words of Jesus. It is whether we put into practice the words of Jesus. So let's make sure we understand the parts of the image. Okay, forget the dunker image. You got that one out. Every, 20% of you will Google that afterwards to make sure I'm really telling the truth and you want to know why it's called the Dilbert Dunker, you'll find that out on your own. But let's make sure we understand Jesus' words. He says, if you hear and you practice these words, these words, this sermon, this sermon on the mount, then you are like a wise person, a person who's built their house on a, on a strong foundation, on a rock. The house is your life, right? The house is your life, and one building plan for a stable life is um, obedience, is faithfulness. Putting into practice the words of Jesus in this sermon. The rock is Christ and his words, and when storms come, that life is sustained. It's stable. It stands. The image and the analogy aren't hard to follow. Wisdom, 
looks like you doing what Jesus said to do, you receive from that security and strength. When the storms of life come, you stand. You hear and you don't follow those words. Jesus says, I'll say we, right? We are like foolish people who build our house on sand. Again, our house is the life and this building plan is inaction, is disregard, is unfaithfulness, is hearing the words of Jesus and saying, I don't think so. I have a better plan. I'm going to do what feels right. I'm going down. When the storms come, that life falls. And according to Jesus, the way he says it, it falls with a great crash. Foolishness brings instability and weakness. You don't do what Jesus says, and that's where you end. Again, these are the words of Jesus. This is his final, his closing, you know, illustration. Lori did such a great job last week talking about the, the narrow road and uh, standing in truth and living in truth and, you know, all those different analogies. And to, today, we, we have to deal with this last one that Jesus leaves us with, which is the contrast between wisdom and foolishness, obedience and disobedience, stability and a great crash. So, without preaching all 10 of the messages again, I will just remind you these words that we have been instructed now to listen to and to put into practice. So just think back with me through the Beatitudes, what it means to choose to be um, thankful, gratitude in every place of life because the kingdom of God is open to you. Your value in the world is salt and light. And remember the challenge of allowing that light to shine into the world without any shame or fear, just letting people know you belong to Jesus and letting them see what a life following Jesus looks like. Not letting anger, lust, or revenge rule you. Speaking the truth in simplicity, blessing and loving others, even enemies. And Jesus said, especially enemies. Praying like Jesus, living with generosity rather than materialism and greed, a refusal of contempt, slander, and judgment, asking God and others for what you need and trusting God with the answers. And as Lori talked about last week, embracing and living out the loving truth of the King of Kings in his kingdom, and in this, our lives, living it out without being ashamed. Love with truth combined, bringing salvation to people in our lives. What we do, how we respond to these words of Jesus in any given moment of our lives has an impact on the eventual stability or the fortitude of our lives. You have seen someone, maybe you are this person, praise God. You certainly have seen someone. You look at what's happening in their, in their life and you think, I don't know how they're doing it. I, I don't know how they're doing it. My, um, our oldest son's um, wife's mother died this last week. So my daughter-in-law's mother, 60 years old, ovarian cancer, very close family. And I talked to Benja this week, and Benja, he said, Dad, I can't believe, I don't know how they're doing it. He said, this family is amazing. He said, their emotional flexibility, this is 
typically how Benja would think. Their emotional flexibility. They can be laughing and then they can be crying. And then they can be making fun of each other and then laughing again and then crying. And then they'll make fun of each other for ugly crying. And then they'll have a group family hug. All while their mother, their wife is dying, going to be with Jesus. They're living it out. You've seen someone like that and you just think, how do they do it? It's not that they're not, uh, that they don't have storms that shake, but somehow they're stable. They walk through it. They stand in the midst of it. And you look at them and you think, that's Jesus. That is God's power in their life. It is absolutely true that Jesus can calm any storm, right? We've had probably lots of messages from this place, the power of Jesus to calm storms. He can protect those he loves. He can and he does forgive and heal and free and protect and redeem. But the point that Jesus is making right here, the end of this most famous sermon of his, is you can do what I say, revealing your wisdom, or disregard what I say, though you hear it, and reveal your foolishness. The point of Jesus' message here is not his power to protect. It is his power to sustain in the midst of difficulty. I think we need that message. No, I know we need that message. I need that message. This church needs that message. The people in your families and your workplaces need that message. This country needs that message. This world needs that message. Theologian named uh, Frederick Dale Bruner, this is what he says, he comments on this passage. I'll just read it. Listen, this is really rich. He says, Jesus does not say that a house built on his words will, for example, glow in the dark or miraculously expand into a mansion, or in any way be particularly impressive. The only impressive fact about this house is that it will be standing when the storm is over. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus almost always describes the Christian life in terms of survival rather than sensation. Nor are we told that life, a life built on the foundation of Jesus' words will be spared, rains, floods, or winds, as though Jesus' teaching were a talisman against trouble. Realistically, Jesus says the same storms hit thoughtful disciples as thoughtless ones. Obedience to Jesus' word, then, is not so much a protection from troubles as it is a protection in troubles. Just as a rock under a house does not shield from storms, it supports during them. And I think that the people, as the people of God here, we are called to not simply look good on the outside, but to be founded on the truth. And that means obedience to Jesus. That means hearing his words and putting them into practice. If there's any question in your mind about the importance of this sermon that we've spent the last three months reading and talking about and preaching about and praying about, let it be clearly understood today. If you want to stand or fall in adversity, this is it. So a question for you. What is it that the Holy Spirit is teaching you about the foundation of your life in your current storm? This is, I'm not going to ask you to answer, but I'm going to give you a minute to think. 
I bet there are quite a few here in pretty serious storms right now, internal, external, relational, vocational, financial, and every other all. And I just wonder, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is he revealing to you? Not condemnation, but invitation into change to understand. What's he revealing to you about the foundation of your life in your current storm? Heed the call. Jesus has just spoken in this message for, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes. We don't know. And he concludes with, therefore. In other words, Jesus gives all that, you know, Matthew 5 through, through 7. And he says, now with all that info, here's what you need to know. Right down to the bottom line. Wisdom is obedience. Disobedience is foolish. And the end result of that is instability. One leads to life that can withstand challenge. And one leads to life that will crumble in challenge. What he's saying isn't complicated, but it is serious. Jesus is the rock, the foundation. His love is our grounding, our rootedness, our security. And so if we're trusting him, we will obey his words. John 14, 23, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching." Just a few verses later, I mean, in the same speech, the upper room discourse, he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. I love that. That, to me, I don't know why it came to me like this, but I saw a holy, spirit-empowered, um, uh, perpetual motion machine. It's the love of Jesus, the obedience of the believer, which brings love, which brings obedience, which brings love, and it just goes around and around. And our lives can be propelled by that power, love and obedience, love and obedience, love and obedience. That's, you see the picture of the solid foundation of the believer's life is those two elements. The love of God, obedience. The love of God in us, obedience through us. Us loving God, the obedience that he empowers over and over and over again. And the result is, this is how Dallas Willard says it, all who hear and do what he here says will have a life that can stand up to everything. That is a life for eternity because it's already in the eternal. So just before I close, I want to be clear. To believe in Jesus means you will, obe will obey Jesus. But, and you'll put into practice these words of his. But obedience does not make you right with God. So don't hear that this morning. Obedience to the law does not make you right with God. But faith in Jesus makes you right with God. That faith will bear fruit in faithfulness. If there's no action, if there's no obedience with your faith, then your faith would be rightly challenged. And sometimes, quite honestly, we need our faith to be rightly challenged. Am I in Jesus? Not with fear, but with, God, where am I? Where do I stand with you? Can I, can I look at my life and see, I think Lori spoke about it, what's, what's coming out of my life? What's the wake that I'm leaving? Is it the fruit of the Holy Spirit? And if it's not, then is the Spirit within? I had a really good friend not a really good friend. What a silly statement. I knew a guy once. 
<laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> this is how it works up here, folks. <laughs> Working without any trampolines under me. Um, I knew a guy once. We were in a group with someone, and I remember, uh, I remember him saying, his name was Dan, I actually knew him. I just remember him saying, Randy, you never did anyone a favor by assuming they know Jesus. Isn't that a great? Like, I'm just always like, I'm sure you know, you know, you know. And, and so to this day, when I'm praying with someone up here, if I've never met them before, they can come up and say all sorts of spiritual words and whatever. And the first question I ask is, can you tell me about your relationship with Jesus? Do you know him? Are you known to him? Are you walking with him? Is he in you? Because we got to start there. Otherwise, all the other prayers and all the other things don't make any sense. There's no truth. There's no foundation. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fall. Maybe today's the day that you need to hear and recognize, oh my, oh my God, I don't know you. What a gift today to recognize that and come to Jesus. It's in the storms that is revealed the substance of our faith. Are we built on Jesus or not? So what does building your house on the rock look like? What did it look like for the disciples? <laughs> it meant leaving secure jobs. It meant giving up position and accepting challenge. It meant obeying Jesus when it seemed crazy, when it made them look very strange. It meant surrender to a counter-cultural transformation of their hearts and minds. It meant forgiveness, humility, and hiddenness. It also meant witnessing the love and the power of God manifest in and through their lives like the world had never seen before. It meant sorrow, hardship, joy, and promise. And I think most of all, as I think about it, it meant living with mystery day after day. Can you imagine the disciples like, what in the world is he going to do today? What's he going to say today? Drink my blood, eat my flesh? That wouldn't surprise me. He did it. What does building your house on the rock mean for you? Maybe it means choosing gratitude rather than bitterness in your current storm. Maybe it means remaining faithful to your marital vow no matter what you're experiencing on the other side of that relationship. Maybe it means allowing the reality of Jesus in your life to be known and seen out in the world without any fear, without any hiddenness, just kind of hanging out there, authentic and loved by God. Maybe it means admitting your anger or your lust, your passion for revenge, telling another person about that, confessing that, and allowing God to come in and transform anger and lust and that desire for revenge into the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it means changing your attitude, your actions, or your posture towards people who view the world differently than you. Maybe it means encountering people who would actually like bad things to happen to you in a different way, like Jesus did. Forgive them, Father. They don't have a clue what they're doing. Maybe it means choosing the path of vulnerability 
or humility and trust, living for the glory of God or not for the glory of you, praying like you've never prayed before. Maybe it means giving like you've never given before. Maybe it means forgiveness and acceptance with people who are different than you. Again, with truth and love to give a mirror to the world to say, you are eternally accepted and loved in Christ and he calls you to something. Maybe it means asking for what you need from God and others and trusting that God will provide in God's time and God's way for God's glory. So, what will you take from the message today? What's God said to you in the last three months? That's the question for you to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Is there any place in these last three months as I read through this great sermon, is there any place where I have consistently chosen foolishness over wisdom? And let's be honest, we're, we're all, we're, we are all humans in here, right? Any angels? Raise your hand. Jane, you don't count. <laughs> Points for me. No, I'm serious. We're, we're, we're all humans in here. So you, you, you look at your life through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount, and you've got to see, wow, there's some places here where I'm, I'm willingly, knowingly choosing foolishness and disregard of what Jesus clearly says. That, that, that's an invitation. That's an invitation to opening your heart to that place where God can do what only God can do, make you like his son, Jesus. Let's stand. I'd like to ask the ministry team to come forward, if you would, anyone on the ministry team. This is good news this morning. The good news that the kingdom of God is open to us. Life in the kingdom and in the spirit is open to us. Jesus isn't leaving us clueless as to what he's looking for from our lives. It's right there. And not only does he give us the commands and give us the challenge, he empowers us by the Holy Spirit to say yes. So maybe this morning there's a place for you to say yes to God. I'm just going to pray for us. I'm going to invite anyone who wants to to come. You can kneel in the front and, and do business with God. You can pray with anyone on the ministry team here. If you recognize today, I've been coming here. I've been thinking about God for a long time, but I don't know Jesus. I don't have uh, clarity about where I am with God, then I would love to talk to you. Anyone up here would love to talk to you. Let's pray. God, you're amazing. Father, you've given your son, son of God, Jesus, Lord and King, you've given your life. Spirit of God, you've raised the Son from the dead and now you've chosen to dwell in us. Release your wisdom and your power, your love and your faithfulness within us individually in this body at this time, this year, in this place for the glory of God. Lead us now as we come to reconcile once again our lives with your words receive your power, your forgiveness, and your love. 
We pray in Jesus' name.